Well, good morning, church. How you doing? Good. I want to go ahead and say this. Are you glad to be here? You feeling good? Good. Me too. I've got one little thing. My voice has just been deteriorating as the morning has went on for some reason. And so if at some point I have a coughing fit or I just start spitting all over the front row right here, I am sorry. Uh, I'm going to try my best to keep that in check. But uh, I'm excited to get to talking to you guys. Are you guys ready to get going? Uh, if you're just joining us, we are talking about miracles. We just began a series last week called Looking for a Miracle. No, not a miracle like your wife was ready on time this morning. <laughs> and not a miracle like your kids got up in a good mood. Or like you got your husband to finally fix that light bulb that's been flickering for the last six months. Not a miracle like that. Right, Tony? I'm not talking about those kind of miracles. I'm talking about real deal biblical miracles. We are trying to realign our minds, adjust our thinking to understand uh, with complete clarity what miracles are, where they come from, what kind of miracles can happen in our lives And what can we do to help maybe facilitate seeing more miracles in our lives and in the lives of other people? Are y'all excited about that? The first thing we decided to do last week was define what a miracle is. And here was our definition. A miracle is a display of God's power in our lives that produces awe and wonder in us and reveals to the world that God is at work. You got it? You write it down. There's three main parts of this. I want to make sure that you see it. Three parts that we believe defines a miracle. A miracle, first off, belongs to God. God alone is the source of miracles. Uh, Miracles originate with him because they are supernatural acts. Despite how we may have overused miracles in our everyday language or we've outsourced miracles to other people and we say, oh, this person can perform a miracle or this person did a miracle. Uh, the, The truth is the Bible tells us that God alone is the source of miracles. You got it? So that's the first part. The second part is this. Miracles, when they occur, will shock us. They will leave us standing in awe. They will leave us wondering. They won't, it won't just be like, oh, that was kind of cool. You know, we won't, you won't do that. You're like, that, that was neat. What a neat thing that was. That's not a miracle. A miracle will leave you mouth gaping going, what in the world just happened? That's the truth. Miracles are on a whole nother level. So you got it? That's number two. The third thing is this. Miracles act as a sign to the world that God is at work. This is the truth. There is an evangelical element to miracles. Just like when Jesus Christ was here and he was performing miracles, it was, there, was a, there was a reason for that. There was a message attached to that miracles. This is the son of God. God is at work in this man. That is exactly what miracles are. They are a sign to the world that God is at work. And so when a miracle happens in our life or or something miraculous happens in the lives of others, we look and we go, my goodness, God is at work over there. They call our eyes to God. They draw our attention to him. You got it? So you got the definition. Everybody good? Good. So if you're here... Some of you are back here for part two of this series. I, I know that some of you are back here because you're looking for a miracle. 
I told you that the whole reason for this series is I have found myself bombarded with people who, who, who need a miracle in their life. And so I know that some of you are here today because you need a miracle in your life. Some of you are watching online because you need a miracle. Some of you might be finishing this series up that you found years later because you need a miracle. And I'm glad of that. But I know you have questions. You're wondering does the miracle I'm looking for, does it, does it fall within God's purview? Is what I'm asking for realistic? This is what I did in my study. I, 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 I've done a, a lot of reading over the last several weeks about miracles. And so in my study, I decided that there were four categories of miracles that I wanted to talk to you guys about. Now, there's probably, you know, you could probably add another category in there if you, you know, really started breaking down. But I believe there are four categories of miracles that if we discuss them, it's going to cover a lot of what you guys are looking for, a lot of what what we've been praying for. But as we discuss these categories, simultaneously, this is what I want to do. I want to try to show you some things that we must do in order to facilitate these miracles perhaps taking place. That's what I would like to do. Does that sound good? So you ready for category one? It's the first category of miracles today. Everybody ready? I'm going to give it to you. It's the no, I'm not going to talk to you for 30 minutes and then tell you what it is. I'm going to tell you what it is right up front. Are you glad about that? No guessing. Here it is. Miracles of authority. I believe there's a category of miracles that God performs that I think are just miracles of authority. Authority being defined as the ability, the right, or the power to do something. Okay, that's what authority is. Authority is defined as having the ability, the right, or the power to do something. I believe there's a category of miracles that stand alone, and they occur because God has the ability, the right, and the power to do what he wants to do. Everybody with me? He alone holds the authority to perform them. I know the question is, well, how much authority are we talking about? How much authority does God have? Well, I actually, I, I believe Jesus answers that question for us. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, Jesus is talking to his disciples upon his resurrection. He's talking to them, and this is what he says. He says, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. He was given this authority by God. So if Jesus was given all authority in heaven and on earth, then how much authority do you think God has? All of it. It's, it's a pretty natural thing, isn't it, Jeremy? It makes sense. How much, if God's given Jesus, how much authority does God have? He's got all of it. He's got the whole nine yards. He's got the full money. He's got the whole ball of wax. He's got the entire shebang. I love a thesaurus. <laughs> Don't y'all? A thesaurus is just fun. I do that all the time. If Jesus was given all authority in heaven on earth, God gave it to him, then God has all Authority. Authority, he has the ability, the power, and the right to do all sorts of stuff. Now, what's the question? What kind of stuff are we talking about? Right? Tim, what kind of stuff are we talking about? What, what falls in this category, miracles of authority? Well, in order to, to do that, I've got to give you an example. In order to give you an example, guess what I've got to do? I've got to tell you a story. If you want to, you can turn in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 10. 
In Joshua chapter 10, we join the Israelite leader Joshua as he and his people are en route to the promised land and they're experiencing confrontation after confrontation with the people who already inhabited the land, okay? So Joshua and the Israelites, they're moving in and they are, they're, they're fighting one battle after the next with these people who do not want them to get there. And in the beginning of that chapter, we're introduced to a, a king of one of those nations and his name is Adonai Zedek. You got it? Adonai Zedek. Now he was the current king of Jerusalem and he was really worried about the Israelites. He was incredibly worried about the Israelites. Not only were they a force in among themselves, and they, he had heard about their victories and the things that had happened, but, but they had recently uh, formed a peace treaty with his neighbor, the Gibeonites, or Gibeon. And so now he knows, okay, not only are the Israelites coming, but they're now allies with my neighbor. I am in trouble, Right? And so what do you do when you're a couple of nations and you start to have conflict? What do you do? They got a partner. What do you do? You go partner up with somebody, right? Adonazanek, he sends messengers out and to four other kings, and they form an alliance among themselves. So now you have these five nations, these five kings, and they are coming together against Joshua and the Israelites. And they come together and they form a plan. They come up with a battle strategy, what they're going to do. And not wanting to waste any time, Adonai Zanek, he, he sends uh, his army and all these other guys, all these allies, and they go to Gibeon, and they attack Gibeon. And they besiege it, is what we're told. They besiege the Gibeonites. They're attacking them, surrounding them. Somehow the Gibeonites managed to send messengers out to Joshua and the Israelites, let them know, hey, we're being attacked. Things are going bad. We're in real trouble. They've got, they've got five kings now and five nations all put together forming one army. We're in trouble. And I want you to join me in reading what Joshua's response is to this news. In verse 7 it says, So Joshua marched up from Gilgal with his entire army, including all of his best fighting men. So Joshua, he gets everybody together. He says, I need every man, every able-bodied man. We need to get together. We're going. Verse 8 says, Then the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid of them. I have given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. Now, can I tell you something that I realize when I read this? Apparently, there was reason to be afraid, right? If God tells you not to be afraid, apparently in our human eyes and with our human knowledge, there's plenty of reason to be afraid, right? If God warns you, this is what I'm saying. Joshua was a veteran at this point. He has led battles. He has been at war. He's experienced victories. He has experienced losses. And so Joshua knows the deal, right? He knows what's coming. He knows if we're going to go help the Gibeonites, Adonai Zedek knows we're coming. He planned this, which means that he's going to have the best position. He's going to know the lay of the land perfectly. He has our allies besieged. And not only that, but you had five nations together, and apparently they were a great force. I don't know any statistics. We're not given any numbers that I'm aware of. But I think it's safe to assume this is a scary battle to walk into. Right? Everybody still with me? I am sure there was reason to be afraid. Yet God had said, don't be afraid. God said, go. I'm going to deliver them, each one of them, into your hand. So what does Joshua do? 
He goes. He takes his troops and they go. We're told in the Bible they marched all night. And when they arrived, this is what happened. I'm talking about when, when Joshua and the Israelites, when they made it there, they stepped foot on the battlefield. God moved outside of Gibeon. And it says that all of the enemies and their kings, they, they flew into confusion. They didn't know what was up and what was down and who was bad and who was good. I believe this. They were fighting each other. Some were retreating. Some were going to the left and some were going to the right. They didn't know what to do. They began fighting each other. And this is what we're told in the Bible, that Joshua and the Israelites defeated these armies soundly at Gibeon because of God's intervention. But the story don't stop there. See, Joshua and the Israelites, they just keep chasing them. These armies are trying to retreat, and they're, they're running down a road. And as they're running down the road, look at what happens. In verse 11, it says, this is where it gets a little authoritative for, for a way to say it. As they fled before Israel on the road down from Beth Haran to Azekah, the Lord hurled large hailstones down on them, and more of them died from the hail than were killed by the swords of the Israelites. All right, hang on a second. Y'all are like, what? Imagine this. Matt, can y'all do this with me? Sid, do this with me. Carter, help me out right here. You're a warrior, right? You're dressed for battle. You flew into confusion. You don't know what's happening, right? You take off running. You're like, just retreat. Just get to safety. Surely they'll stop eventually. They'll stop chasing you. And as you are running with all your might, you hear, and hailstones large enough to kill a man to hit you, your brother, you got Jimmy, your bud beside you, Jimmy, Joey, your buddy beside you, you're running beside him, you're like, Joey, he's like, boom, he's done. God is killing these dudes with hailstones. He, he's intervened completely. He's fighting the battle almost, almost on his own at this point. He is taking these soldiers down, dropping them one by one. I just imagine that somewhere, somewhere in this story, there is a meteorologist, and he goes, man, I missed that forecast. <laughs> I mean, I missed that one, you know? I saw no death hell in our future today. I just imagine that, dropping them like flies. As if that's not crazy enough. I want you to look at what happens next. Joshua, as he and his troop are chasing these men, Joshua wants decisive victory. He wants absolute victory. He doesn't want to come back and fight these guys again. He, he wants to end this battle today. That's what Joshua wants to do. And so Joshua does something nuts. Joshua begins to pray out loud, we're told. He begins to pray out loud for his leaders to hear, for his soldiers to hear. He begins to pray out loud where they can hear and read what he says. This is what he said. Listen, son, that thing, son, stand still over Gibeon and you moon over the valley of Ajalon. You say, man, that's poetic. No, he's not just saying it for fun. Joshua is asking for something from God. He says, God, I want you to leave the sun up until this battle is done. I want you to leave the sun in the sky until we are finished fighting today. That's crazy, isn't it? Listen to this. Here's what's even crazier. God answered his prayer. Answered his prayer. 
If you continue reading, this is what it says. It said, the sun stopped. And this is, I know, guys, this is crazy. The sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down a whole day. Come on. That should lead you to a very natural next question. Really? I mean, did that really happen? I mean, how did God do that? Right? Why did God do that? What was going on? Can I tell you what I know? Can I tell you what I know? I did my research. Let me say this. I got it figured out. Commentators, experts, and scholars have traveled miles and miles and miles around this subject to end up nowhere. That's what I discovered. I read things. I read, I read tons of stuff that really made my brain hurt. I'm going to be honest with you. Things like, oh, did the earth slow to a certain point? And, and as it slowed, it elongated the day. That's what happened. Or did the sun, uh, did the earth stop in the sky, like just do a full stop? Or did it slow? Uh, was, it, did it, was there some sort of refraction of light that occurred because of a natural phenomenon and that caused it to appear like it was daylight? Was it an eclipse of some kind that caused it to be daylight for a long period of time? Pages and pages, guys, I read of material that was meant to maybe explain what happens that I something that trying to explain something that I told you guys in message one could be explained with one word and that is God because when it's a miracle that is the only real explanation God performed a miracle a miracle I call a miracle of authority can I tell you why it's a miracle of authority you want to hear why it's a miracle of authority look at this this is what I know was happening right then at least real good, real close guesses. The earth was traveling around the sun. And the sun, according to science, is four and a half billion years old. It is a ball of gas burning in the sky of hydrogen and helium gas. It is 93 million miles away from the earth. It is 1.3 million times bigger than the earth. And we're traveling around this sucker at 67,000 miles an hour as a planet. Are you listening? 67,000 miles per hour. It takes the earth one full year to orbit the sun. And at the same time as we're orbiting the sun, there are eight other planets. There are five dwarf planets. There are tens of thousands of asteroids. There are millions and millions of comets that are all being pulled into orbit by the sun's gravity. All of that was happening. To create our solar system. Simultaneously, as we orbit the, the, the sun, the earth is also rotating, giving us our day and night, giving us a rising and a setting of the sun because the sun's on us, and then as we turn around, the sun's no longer on us. And, but at the same time, we're going 67,000 miles an hour. Now, we're not spinning like a top. As a matter of fact, we're on what's called an axial rotation at 23 and a half degrees, uh, which means that we're rotating like this, which gives us our lengths of day because when we're tilted towards the sun, the days are longer, and when we're tilted away from the sun, like in the wintertime, we get shorter days, and all of that was happening. And then I read words like elliptical orbit and perihelion, or 
perihelion, aphelions, and solstices, and equinoxes, and all this sort of stuff that told me that any deviations from the current cosmical, cyclical processes would mean doom for mankind. And God said, not today. God heard Joshua's prayer and stuff that he set in motion so many years ago, we couldn't possibly count them. He said, I'll do that for you because I can do that for you. And I want to do that for you. And I have the power to do that for you. That is a miracle of authority. Are you with me? That is a miracle of authority. God created the heavens and the earth, and he set the sun and the, and the solar system in motion. And by George, he can do whatever he wants to with it. That's what a miracle of authority is. He can override science. He can override rules. He can override kings and presidents. He can override regulations. He can override certainties and laws that have been created. He can do what he wants because he answers to no one. He is the creator. He is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. And all authority belongs to him. Are you with me? Throughout the Bible, we see miracles of this magnitude where God took something that was certain or some rule or some law or some whatever we think, some science, and God said, you know what? Not today. When you touch fire, John Boy, what happens? It burns you, right? When you, when you get near fire, you, biologically what's going to happen is you are going to be burned. That's just what's going to happen. Fire burns pretty much everything up, right? That is true of everything but the story of Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego because they were thrust into a fiery furnace where they should have burned up. They should have died immediately. They should have died going through the door. And instead, we're told they walked out of there and they didn't even smell like smoke. That is a miracle of authority. I can do what I want with things that belong to me. When you step into water, what happens? You sink. At the very least, you get wet, right? When you step into water, that is true. Except when it's Jesus. And he's walking on water, and he looks to Peter, and Peter says, call me out on the water with you. And Jesus says, come on, son. And they walk on something that is liquid that we're told couldn't possibly be walked on. Yet they do it. That's a miracle of authority. He changes the rules. What happens if you've been dead? Brady, what happens if you've been dead three or four days? You're probably starting to smell, okay? I like that. That's a good way to go, I guess. You begin to decompose, right? You're dead. Any CPR is not a viable option. No doctor is going to tell you that, that this person is revivable. Yet we see in the Bible that Jesus called a man out of the tomb that had been there for four days. That everybody thought was dead. Everybody had been mourning. And Jesus said, no, come on out, my brother. We see in the Bible that Jesus himself, three days after he had been crucified, he rose from the grave. That is authority. That is a miracle of authority. Because he doesn't answer to anything, not even death. A miracle of authority. You with me? Miracles of authority are where things appear to only work one way. Rules, science, 
Rules and science dictate a particular order of things. Certainties and laws govern humanity. And all of a sudden, God and all of his knowledge and all of his ability and all of his power says otherwise. God has the authority to do whatever we want. He wants. And we see throughout the Bible, there are major moments where God answered people's prayers and he used his authority to override natural patterns in science, uh, laws of physics, king's orders, and even certain death. That's the truth. So what do you do with that lesson? What do you do with that lesson? This is what I wrote. Make sure you know who you're dealing with. As Christians and as children of God, this is the truth. You need to make sure you know who you're dealing with in your life. You got to know who you're dealing with. That should change some things in us. Let me, let me tell you this. When I was 21 years old, I had saved up enough money uh, to buy my first truck. I mean, I had, I had paid my, Dave Ramsey this thing. I had paid myself a truck payment, saved a bunch of money, and I had enough money to go and buy my, my dream truck, which was a Toyota Tacoma. Still love those trucks. Can't fit my family in them, but I love them. And so I, I say, to, and, and I knew, I'd, all I'd heard was horror stories. I'd never dealt with a dealership before, but I mean, I wanted one off the factory floor. That's what I wanted. And so, and so I, I'd heard all these stories about dealing with dealerships. I was 21 years old. I was in college. I was like, you know what? I don't want to go there because I think they'll take advantage of me. They'll see how young I am. So I'm just going to deal on the phone. So I just started calling dealerships. And I ended up talking to a guy. That's why I said Jimmy earlier. I ended up talking to a guy, and his name is, was Jimmy. And I like Jimmy a lot. And Jimmy was a great car salesman. And so Jimmy and I, we started talking on the phone, and I'd never done this before, so I was just trying to, you know, and, I, and, and this is how it started. I said, Jimmy, I, this is the truck I want. I want a Toyota Tacoma. I'm kind of learning about the features and stuff. I've been reading a bunch, and, and, but here's the truck I want, and uh, here's the amount of money I'm willing to pay for it, $18,000. I remember. I said, $18,000. That's what I want to pay for the truck. And Jimmy got on there and you hear him on his little computer, and he said, he said, man, I just, I just ran the truck you wanted. I built the truck you wanted. It's, it's 24000 on MSRP. And, and, man, I'll just tell you this. I know this dealership. I know how we do things. We will not sell a truck below MSRP. And I was like, well, man, all I got is $18,000. So I can do. He said, wait a minute. Let me, hang on a second, man. Let me see if I can help you out. Let me go talk to my manager. And I've never, never seen this process before. He said, let me go talk to the manager. I'm like, okay, go talk to your manager, I guess. And he goes to the manager, talks, calls me back a little, later, a little while later, maybe the next day even, or I don't know. He calls me and he says, hey, you're not going to believe this. You are not going to believe this. I just talked to my manager, and he said that he would take $2,000 off that ticket sticker price. And, and so the truck is only 22000 I think it was $22,100. And I said, Ding, ding, ding. I realized something. I wasn't dealing with Jimmy. I was dealing with a man in the office. I was dealing with a man behind the curtain. And all of a sudden, I realized he can change the rules. Because Jimmy said, we don't ever sell a truck below sticker price. <laughs> but then he talked to the manager, and the manager said, we take $2,000 off sticker price. So I, I, I'm telling you, something happened in me. I became a haggler <laughs> right there. And I was like, hang on a second. And y'all were like, you were comparing car dealers to God. No, listen, stick with the story here. I said, 
I said, man, oh, I, I can only do $18,000. And you know how the story goes. He's like, well, I'm sorry. I don't think we're going to be able to do it. Da, da, da. We can't close the gap. Blah, blah, blah. He, he calls me back a couple of days later. Hey, man, you been thinking about the truck, anything, man? Da, da, da. I said, man. And we kind of started talking the, the packages and the things that were on the truck and all that stuff. And I was like, man, I just, this is the truck I want $18,000. Ended up, fast forward, a lot of conversations. And this poor guy, poor Jimmy, been put through the ringer. Two weeks, he calls me. He said, man, you're not going to believe this. We got to move some inventory. We got to do some things. I can sell you the truck for $18,400. And I said, Jimmy, you've done good work. I think I can meet you that $400. I think I can make that happen. But in that time, I had done some research and realized I forgot something. So this is what I said to Jimmy. I said, Jimmy, one more thing. When the truck gets here, he's like, well, good. You come in, pay, worked all the details. He says, when, when, when the truck comes in, he said, uh, I said, or I'm sorry. I said, when the truck comes in, I really need a towing package on that truck. I felt a tear hit the pad that, Jane, that poor Jimmy was writing on. Jimmy's like, come on, man, you're killing me. You're killing me. We can't do that. We can't do that. There's no possible way we can do that, Tim. We have, we have cut this price on this truck all the way down to the bare minimum. I'm telling you, there is no wiggle room. And the tick towing packages are $700, $600, whatever they are. He's like, there is no possible way we could make that work. And this is what I told him. I said, you know what? You should take that to your manager. He goes, what? I said, just take it to him, man. He goes, I'm telling you, he told me he was about done. I said, take it to him because I know that man and that man's got the ability to change the rules because he's already done it three times. <laughs> so he goes, he comes back for him. Yeah, he said, he'll do 18,000. <laughs> I said, I'll see you tomorrow. Get the truck here. I'll never forget. You got to know who you're dealing with. And you're not dealing with another person. You're not dealing with somebody who's limited. You are dealing with somebody who can change the rules and is willing to change the rules for you. How should that affect you? I'm going to tell you what it should do. It should cause you to walk differently than you walk. You should walk with your shoulders back. That's the truth. When a mountain or an obstacle or a giant appears in front of us, we shouldn't be afraid of it, but because we know how much bigger our God is than those. When tragedies happen and we're facing certainties, terrifying things, I'm telling you, we should respond differently. When the world looks at us, they should see that we respond differently because we have a God who has all the authority, all the ability, all the right, all the power to do whatever it is we ask of him. But not only should it change the way we feel and the way we act, it should change the way we talk. We should talk about him that way. We should talk about him like he has all the authority. And we should talk to him like he has all the authority. We should pray crazy prayers. We should be running down a battlefield and look up and go, Son, stand still! Because we can. Now I know, we're talking about crazy stuff. But I want to tell you something. Some of you need crazy things. And some of you are limiting him. And what you're asking of him. And he can do so much more than you think. 
If you want to see more miracles happen in your lives and it happen in the lives of the people around us, I want to tell you here, the first thing that's got to happen is you've got to know who you're dealing with. And you've got to step into that and step into your prayer life and step into your walk like you know who he is and what he's in control of. Because a God that can look at the sun and the earth and, and for one man and a nation, he can go, stop. What could he do for you? And if he is for you, then what on earth could be against you? Let me pray for you. God, I am thankful for miracles of authority. I'm thankful that there's these little moments in the Bible where we see you move in incredible ways, ways that blow our mind. God, this is my prayer. I pray, God, that we will not limit you as we have friends and family who are, who are ensnared in addiction. We have people who are facing illnesses where, that look imminent, terminal. When we have uh, things coming towards us that are, that are bearing down on us and we feel like there's no way that we could stop them from happening, these bad things or these, these tragic things, God, I, I pray that, we, that our first instinct as believers is to stop and to go, you know what? I serve a God who can stop that from happening. I serve a God who can uh, deliver that person. I serve a God who can heal that person. Uh, God, I, that is my prayer, is that Golden Corner Church will be a church who's not afraid to, to recognize your authority, is not afraid to pray great big things, and that we walk boldly into difficult situations because we know that you don't have our back God that you walk before us and you have the authority to do whatever you want that is my prayer God I pray this I pray that you will continue to speak to us in this series you will continue to help us And you will continue to lead us. In Jesus' name, everybody says amen.